as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. I'm not going to lie to you. I feel like we're getting blindsided by this whole AI thing. It was. It seemed like a, a like a fever dream a couple of weeks ago, and then suddenly it was all over the place. Is what it feels like. Uh, it, it, and now it's it's at the part where teachers are having to deal with a situation that uh, a lot of essays being turned in might not actually be written by the students because that would never ever happen, right? Uh, what the kicker is is that the AI might have been doing these essays. Joining us on seven ten KURV. Uh, he is the CEO of Christian Union. He's a higher education expert. Matt Bennett joins us now. So, uh, first off, tell us about Christian Union. What is that? Hey, great to be here. Uh, we're a Christian uh, leadership development organization. Our focus is at uh, very academically intense universities. We started at Princeton and expanded to Dartmouth, Harvard, and a bunch of similar schools. And I, I guess for the for the folks at home and, and uh, anybody who's not familiar with this chat GPT thing, uh, what is that? Yeah, it's uh, it really has been taking the country by storm. It's the best publicly available artificial intelligence to date. And you can go online, just Google it and set up an account and ask it questions. And it acts like a person. It can write little articles for you or um, write essays on different subjects that you tell it or even tell it what kind of style you want it to write it, and it'll, it'll write it out. Uh, you've, you've piqued Davis's interest. you have a question for our guest, Mr. Bennett, Davis Rankin? You are muted, sir. I'm sorry? <laughs> it's okay. Davis is muted. He's going to work out that, that bug in, in just a second here. We're speaking oh, with Matt they Bennett, keep muting is, me, Mr. Guest. They mute me, and they think it's funny <laughs> when they call me out on the radio. Uh, so if I said, listen, I want, uh, I want an essay in the style of, uh, of um, Faulkner, the renowned drunk Southern writer, um, could they do that? Or No, Hemingway, that's more my, can they do that? Yeah, yeah, sure can. You can say, write a poem on the subject of whatever in the style of Hemingway. And it'll do it. I'll write a limerick in the style of Faulkner, and it'll do it. Good Lord. Uh, and is, yeah. This, yeah, is this free? <laughs> is this free? Is this available to, like, everybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's free. Um, sometimes it's busy, and you can't get on it because so many people are using it. But it's free, and uh, I think you can get a um, – uh, if you pay a fee, you get the app, and you can have it do more stuff at, uh, you know, maybe longer writing or essays or something. But, yeah, it's free. And this is starting to creep into the, the colleges and in other uh, big ed- educational institutes of, of uh, learning where I have an essay. I don't feel like doing it. I'm just going to type in the prompt <laughs> and I'm going to turn that in. And teachers, teachers are getting fooled by this. This is a real problem, right? Well, yeah, you can see how tempting it is. I mean, I've heard, I mean, not only is it in higher education, but friends 
of mine whose kids in junior high are aware of it and dabbling with it and seeing what it can do. So it's uh, a concern in terms of, you know, what what are people really doing on their own and what is this robot doing? Before we had this problem with AI, I mean, we still had a big plagiarism uh, problem in, in some of the colleges. What tools did we have before uh, ChatGPT started sticking its nose into it? Well, yeah, there are some programs that scan the Internet, and if you put in a, your paper an essay, a paragraph that looks very similar to something that's already out there on the Internet, well, then these programs would alert you. So to lift something word for word already written, well, you're, you'll probably get caught. But since um, this uh, AI is generating new language um, right there on the spot, then it's a different deal. How long has this been going on? Sorry, uh, real, real quick. Let me reintroduce you and then I'll pass you over to Davis. Uh, higher education expert Matt Bennett from Christian Uni. He talks with a lot of colleges across the, the country about this very problem. We're talking about AI. He's our guest on your 956 Drive Home. Davis Rankin, your question. Um, not a contentious question, but what's um, you're sort of a missionary organization, I gather. So what's the what do you what are you guys why are the Christians messing with everybody else? What's the deal here? What what's your role or the Well actually hold on Davey before before uh, he answers that. Let's keep this on the topic of AI, Davey. Well yeah, but why is the Christian organization concerned about AI? Um, fair question. I'll I'll answer that if you like. Go ahead. Yeah, sure, the go ahead. um the the students in our programming at the universities uh, we teach a lot of ethics, and this is an enormous um, ethics issue. Oh. And, of course, we do everything we can help them with their academics as well. This really intersects quite heavily with who we are and what we do. And this isn't just a Christian school problem, by the way, to clarify, no, no. Davey. This is, this is like all the schools in the country. We hope it's not a Christian <laughs> school problem. <laughs> this, is, this is a very, um, very fast-growing problem. And uh, some, how long has this been going on, by the way? Well, um, you know, this was only released a few weeks ago. And so in terms of being widely available at this quality, it's only a few weeks old. Um, and so it's why it's getting a lot of buzz and, and people are really focusing on terms of what it can do, which is why the organization OpenAI, who puts this out, they just released yesterday or the day before a, um, a way in which um, uh, educators can catch um, students who do this, or say so they say. So where does this end up? I guess everybody, I assume everybody's familiar with uh, the, the practice under the communists, under Stalin. Somebody's in favor, he has his picture taken, he falls out of favor, and they artfully extract the guy's picture. He disappears. But that was before this stuff. Um, where is this going to end up, or how, how do we fight against yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, we'll see if um, what they developed is really a useful tool for professors and others to see if essays were composed with chat GPT. I mean, it just got released, but it's sort of like the, the battle of the robots to see. But I think the fact that they put it out, put it out there, I think will make it'll give a lot of people pause. And they feel like the very company they're using to um, fake essays um, has put out a tool to help detect it. I think, um, while not perfect, I think a lot of people will be a lot more cautious about using it and passing it off as their own work. Is there is there a, a way or a software program or there there are ways that 
d digital um, alterations can be detected, I think, in pictures and sound and that sort of thing. What about this? Yeah, yeah. And so that's what uh, ChatGPT just released a couple of days ago is their own detection of anything created with their own technology. Uh, so it has yet to be seen how good it is. It's only been out a few days, but um, they say it, it can detect it pretty well. So it's basically a battle of the AI, the battle of the robots. Uh, but I think it's good that people are would be concerned about whether uh, it could be detected mm -hmm. because if they're nervous about it and they know they could get a zero on their paper, well, they're going to be a lot, lot less likely just to tap in and to use it. You think um, we're going to see it? We lost you, Zach. Zach. No, say oh, you. Yeah. yeah, Zach, we lost you. Yeah. we. <clears throat> Excuse me. We, uh, that's the <laughs> devil's work right there, sir. <clears throat> I'm only partially joking. Zach, Zach is... Uh, uh, never mind. Uh, I, this is fascinating, and I think it's a great topic Zach has fixed, and I think we ought to spend more time on it because this could be used for so much harm. My gosh. Um, how how much so harm much good could, as well. How? What kind of good? What What good comes out of this? this sound, it's either being used for harm or as a novelty. Well, it can be used, for instance, like uh, in a law firm, it could maybe write up uh, like a, what a paralegal does. It could write a first draft on some sort of case or something. And it, it's used also to do some uh, measure of coding um, that a uh, person can, you know, wants to use to code their computer with or some chip or something. So it still needs a person to review it and fix the errors. But in terms of some first drafts, it can do a lot of good work in a lot of areas. And oh, if uh, someone wants to use it to be an automatic reply to their emails, it could do that. Yeah. So um, it's got a lot of possibility. The thing that's scary about it is, think, can you imagine AI writing code for more AI? <laughs> and just, just having yeah. that singularity happen, right? right? But I was going to ask you, do you see in the future uh, colleges and, and just anybody in general coming in person and just saying, you know what, forget it. A few people screwed it up for everybody. Timed essays from now on, all of you. Sure. <laughs> that's right. They might have to. I mean, because it's gotten so good, they did tested um, a University of Pennsylvania uh, professor, um, Wharton School tested it, like a law professor, and it didn't get the best grade in terms of taking an exam, but it still got passing grades. And so, um, and, and of course, it didn't study ahead of time. So you can see um, some professors and others just wanting to watch everybody and make sure that there's no possible way that someone could tap into it. You know what? That that's a good question too. If I use AI to write an essay for me, what what's the grade on average that it's going to get? Is it even any good? Yeah, I think the tests um, have it come came out pretty, pretty middle of the road, like a C or something. But I think the um, the business school professor they did it, it it did better. It got more like a B or something. So, but we can expect that to improve, of course. So another year, three years or so, well, we might be seeing these things acing these exams exams hey thanks a lot for for uh for, for, for telling us all this and explaining it for us that's matt bennett higher education expert ceo of christian union joining us on news talk 710 kurb this is your 956 drive home you're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 drive home on news talk 710 kurb and kurb.com
Hey, as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. There is a potential shakeup in the discussion over school choice. And my next guest says, hey, we need to stop throwing money at the existing system. Let's uh, let's shake things up a little bit. Joining us on 710 KURV, we welcome back to the program Alexander Salter with Texas Tech, part of the business school there. Uh, he joins us now. So what what needs to change in the in the school system currently? First, thanks for having me back. It's great to be here. I really think that we're at an inflection point. In Texas, we've had school choice bills in the past get close to the finish line, but they never quite could make it. I think now, given all the things that are happening all across the country and right here in Texas, we really do have the momentum to get an educational financing bill that allows funding to follow the students rather than being trapped in a system. Because we need something to shake up the education system so they can actually deliver results for parents and for children. Uh, let's. Uh, I guess we should set the stage a little bit here. So how does the ex- how does the existing system work and what's wrong with it? The existing system largely assigns students to schools based on location, based on zip code. Wherever you live, there's your school system and that basically determines the schools that you're going to go to for <laughs> elementary, middle, high school. Now there is some flexibility there depending on the district that you live in, you may have an option of public schools. But what I would like to see and what many people in Texas would like to see, in fact, 88 percent of Texas Republican voters would like to see this, is actually have the state's resources follow the student and be used for approved educational expenses, either at private schools, for homeschooling, micro schooling, any sort of educational option that can get our students to where they need to be. Because what we've been observing the last couple of years is that funding per student keeps on going up. But student outcomes are improving. So I think that rather than throw money at the existing system, we really need to get behind a school choice bill and bring it home. Alexander Salter is an economics professor at Texas Tech University, our guest on your 956 drive home. Davis Rankin, your question, sir. Uh, what, um, what do you see wrong with the existing system? What is it that compels you to, to, to take the position you have? I guess what's I don't your think indictment, that it's flexible I enough. I don't think that it's this kind of solution that works for enough Texas students. I actually don't think that public schools are a failure. I think that for the right student and the right circumstances, they can be an appropriate option. But there are also lots of students who would learn better in a learning environment more tailored to their needs. It should be the responsibility of the state government to make sure that every student has the resources necessary to pursue a top-notch education. But that's not necessarily the same thing as having all students go to a government school. So I think what a school choice bill would do, which again, allows the state's per-pupil funding to actually follow the student to a preferred educational option of their family's choice, would do is put each and every student in a position where they're actually going to be able to succeed in their educational environment. And let's be honest, for a lot of kids, they're going to continue to use the existing public school system. And that's great. They should if that works for them. 
But what we also want is to give students for whom that is not working great an option to pursue a private schooling option, a homeschooling option, learning pods, collaborative academies, out-of-school tutoring, all these things that can and should be done with public resources to help invest in the next generation of workers and leaders. So let me let me encapsulate really quickly, just to be sure that we ha- we're all on the same page. So what you're saying is, the ki- we're ca- we're giving uh, we're handing out money by the head anyway, right? Each kid gets an allotted amount of money in the school system. Why can't the parent just take that money and move it towards whatever school that they choose? Correct. That's the long and short of it. There's a big hairy formula that determines how much each district gets per pupil determined by average daily attendance and a bunch of other factors. The fraction of the financing that's provided from property taxes out of the local school district versus the central government in Austin, that's a little bit different. But the basic story is correct. We already have per-pupil funding. The question is, should it be trapped in the existing system, which basically assigns students to schools by residential zip code or location? Or should we actually have the flexibility that we can take that money and transfer it to an educational option and that in the family's estimates works better for their students and for their children. And I'm definitely in column B. Our guest on 710 KURV is Alexander Salter, an economics professor in the Rolls College of Business at Texas Tech University. Davis Rankin, I'm sorry, I, I interrupted your question. Go ahead. Um, my, my belief, if I'm wrong about this predicate, please let me know. One of the, one of the primary arguments for, uh, for, um, charter schools is this would uh, unleash the potential of people who had a different way of educating. They weren't trapped into the existing system. They could experiment. This would give them the opportunity to experiment. Public schools would be public schools with public dollars. Um, and without, I, I don't know how kids are doing. I had a friend who's, so, so I don't know whether that this is bearing fruit or not. But uh, one thing we do know is that the rules that apply to a local school district, independent or consolidated school district, do not apply to charter schools. The local school has to have a transparent budget, and uh, you can find out how they're spending their money. You cannot do that if the uh, charter schools, I'm not, I don't know what they have to do to obscure that part of their funding, but um, I think you know what I'm talking about. It's been in the news. Houston Chronicle did a story about people involved in public these charter schools like renting the buildings from themselves kind of thing um why why wouldn't your your solution uh, reinforce that it changes the responsibility mechanism there are multiple ways that we can think about accountability and one way that we can think about accountability is what the public schools do they have a very open deliberative process with respect to some things they can be very secretive about other things and we can talk about that if there's time But what this would do, whether we're talking about a voucher bill or an education savings account, which is even more flexible, is actually put the decision authority in the hands of families themselves, in the hands of parents themselves. And that actually works a lot of ways that we make other important decisions, right? When you choose a doctor, you choose a PCP, you find one that you think you might like, you go a few times, and if it turns out that it's not working out, you find a different provider that works better for your needs. That's a responsibility mechanism. It's decentralized, it's flexible, it's bottom up rather than top down. And I don't think that there's any compelling argument for why that shouldn't apply to how we choose education. And I think the studies on this bear this out. If you actually look at the effectiveness of school choice, the social scientific literature is actually pretty strong suggesting that, yeah, participant scores for students in school choice programs, their test scores go up. Taxpayers save money, parent satisfaction through the roof. It even improves test scores for students in public schools because of the downstream competitive effect. 
So this is one of those things that I think is a, is a tide that lifts all boats. And again, we're not trying to find a one-size-all education model, right? We're not proposing switching from one-size-fits-all public to one-size-fits-all private. We're looking for a reform that can encourage a multiplicity of education options, an experiment, if you will, to figure out what works best for actual families sending their kids to real educational institutions. Alexander Salter is a professor at Texas Tech University. He's got an article out on National Review titled, It's Time for Texas to Embrace School Choice. He's our guest on your 956 Drive Home. And what you hear a lot from the guys that are kind of pushing against school choice is this is going to take away money from schools that are already hurting for funding and uh, they're they're already frustrated. The teachers are underpaid. They're overworked. They're, they're not appreciated. And this is just going to exacerbate the problem. What do you say to that? I think that some of those complaints are legitimate. I would just say that I think that school choice is going to do the opposite. Let's talk about teacher compensation, right? We need to actually figure out what are the effects of having a competitive educational selection environment on the compensation and salary of teachers. Now, this is one of the less explored areas in the school choice literature, but it turns out that there have been several studies done on this. And surprisingly, it turns out that school choice actually modestly increases teacher salaries. And it does that by giving teachers additional options, because when you create this other environment where other learning models and other learning institutions can flourish, that gives teachers more options for where they want to work, where they want to teach kids. And so that's sort of, that's basically why we observe this secondary effect. Now, it's not huge. We're not taking teachers and giving them a potload of money. Right? We definitely can and should continue to talk about effects to better compensate teachers in the public school system. But I still think it's pretty remarkable that based on the evidence that we have, school choice is good not just for students, but for teachers too. And a lot of time you hear people say things like, well, school choice defunds the public education system. I don't think that that's how it works. The way that it works is by having the dollars for a public purpose, right? Having an educated populace is the public purpose authorized in the Texas Constitution. What we're talking about now is the best way to actually achieve that goal. Now, a lot of places might actually see a fair number of students take the option and actually use a voucher or an education savings account and go for a private school or after-school tutoring or homeschooling or something like that. But then there are also areas, rural areas especially, where, frankly, there aren't going to be that many students leaving the existing school system, and so things are going to remain largely unchanged. I think that we need to stop talking about school choice like it's going to fundamentally upend and destroy public schooling, because it's just not true. School choice in the form of transferable financing is a complement to the existing school system. It's not a substitute for it. Now, this is Davis Rankin again. One of the Republicans, rural Republicans, it is said, have consistently re resisted uh, any change in, like you're suggesting. Uh, the governor says he's going to take care of them. They don't have to worry about it. How how do how does that work? Uh, and what would stop a charter schools from going in then and try to suck off students into their operation? Mm -hmm. I think that those fears are coming from good intentions. I think their heart is in the right place, but I just don't think the story that they're telling makes a lot of sense. Right? Think about what's going on in a rural community. You basically have to believe that there is a half dozen private schools just waiting for a school choice bill to pass, and then they're going to open up a new deal and completely defund like the public education system there. Is that how it's going to work? No, it's almost certainly not how it's going to work. Precisely because rural students don't have access to as many outside options, that's where we would see the least effect. 
Mm-hmm. And rural district representatives actually acknowledge this because in the same breath, they'll say, well, school choice is unfair because rural students don't have as many options as urban students. But then they'll say at the same time, if you open it up, then rural, rural school districts are just going to go underwater. Well, both of those things can't be true. They contradict each other. It has to be one or the other. And I think that in all plausibility, the way that it's going to work is school choice is going to shake up some underperforming districts, specifically urban underperforming districts, while keeping rural districts largely intact. Is there going to be some substitution out of the public schooling system into homeschooling or other arrangements? Yeah, sure, there's going to be some. Is there going to be enough to threaten the integrity of the system? No, no way. It's just not plausible. Professor Salter, thanks a lot for for uh, stopping by and, Thank and you. breaking it down for us. We appreciate your time as usual. That's Alexander Salter, professor of economics at Texas Tech University, joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. News Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. We mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news. On News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have an multiple In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Texas, like, hey, you, you want to buy some chickens? And that way we don't have to worry about the whole egg situation, right? Because the price of eggs has been going up. Uh, we played some audio yesterday from a man with the Texas Farm Bureau that said, eh, well, it's a lot more complicated than you think. Somebody who has had a lot of experience over the years with growing chickens in a very urban area is Rick Gomez, and he joins us now. He's from the Nueces County area, our guest on your 956 drive home. What what made you want to pick up some chickens of your very own, Rick? Well, I'm a realtor, and one of the houses that I had listed that I was getting ready to sell in Sandia, they had a chicken coop with about five chickens, and when they left town, they asked me if I wanted them. I said, sure, and uh, that's how I was inducted. That was about seven or eight years ago. <laughs> Did you know what you were getting into when you picked them up? No, I was starting from scratch, so Google was my friend, and I'm glad it was a lot less complicated than I thought it would be. What did you what did you think going into it? What what did what uh, reality made itself known very very quickly after you acquired these chickens? Well, I've always had um some type of animal. I've always taken care of animals. So I wasn't totally um unprepared, but when I first got them, um what really surprised me was how intelligent they were, um how quickly they acclimated to their new surroundings and again just the relative ease. Uh, once I had them in their place, their coop, they would go back home every evening. It was they, they teach themselves how to live. Uh, here in McAllen, we're allowed to have six per acre, six chickens per acre, right. as per the ordinance. Um, what is it like up there in Oasis? We are allowed seven, and it's um, probably per acre as well. Of course, it's just seven in the city limits. That there's not really any acres, or there are very uh-huh. few. I personally live on a half acre. Rick Gomez is a realtor up in the Oasis County area. He's our guest in your 956 drive home. Davis Rankin looks like he has a question. Oh, <laughs> several questions. brow is furled. 
so did you take them over? I'm actually what I'm thinking is, boy, there's a real estate market in Sandia. Who knew? We'll come back to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so did you take the chickens because you hated to see them euthanized or you were going to eat them or you thought the eggs? And uh, do you know what variety they are? And uh, uh, do, do, you, do you let them wander? And if so, you don't have hawks and predators like that trying to get them? Yeah, so I, definitely the novelty of it, uh, not having had chickens before, I really didn't know what to expect as far as eggs. Um, I got Rhode Island Reds, the ones that were yeah. given to me, and since then I've usually re repopulated with Rhode Islands. Um, they only have about a four to six year span in which they're really producing. So after that point, you can either choose to keep them on as pets or you can, um, uh, honestly, you could cull them yourself, process them, right? Yeah, you got chicken. So um, that's what I ended up doing. As far as the, the, the predators, again, being in an urban environment, I was somewhat better off than others. I still yeah. had a fox in my backyard. I still have had possums. I still have had raccoons. Um, dogs get in occasionally, break through, and I always end up starting over. Chickens are fantastic about roosting out of reach, and I usually would close the pen at night. So they would yeah. only, during the day, get out when they were their least vulnerable. So does, speaking, do of, uh, speaking of uh, the pen, and how much, how much equipment did you have to pick up when you acquired these chickens? Well, I bought a complete hutch, and all I did was build a big wire enclosure around it, and it was about 20 by 20. But they sell enclosures, uh, tractor supply that might be five feet by three feet, perfectly big enough for two, three, maybe even four chickens. Um, the, the run or the pin that you put around them, is not completely necessary, but you know, they can get away. They can jump a fence. They don't swim very well, but they do jump. And, uh, I'm sorry, they don't fly very well, but they do jump. And because of that, they, they can get out of a yard. They just generally tend not to. Joining us on 710 KURV, Rick Gomez is a realtor up in Noises County, and he's had chickens for about seven or eight years. And he's telling us about his story as egg prices have been going up. And uh, speaking of that, so how long does it take for the average person? If the average person were to pick up some chicks right now, first off, how, how much does it cost per chick? And how, how long does it take before you actually see with, with equipment and, and all that stuff? Like, well, how much before you see any yield of, of eggs? And what is that like? Gotcha. So here we have nailers and tractor supply. I'm not sure which uh, your your outdoor supply is over there, but if you go over there, then you can pick up a chicken for somewhere between two to five dollars, depending on the breed or the type. Um, most of them are around that two to three dollar range. Once you start them, you put them in a large uh, tote, basically, because you've got to keep a, a heat lamp on them at all times to keep the temperature at 90 degrees for a few weeks. Then after that, when they've gotten a little bit bigger, then you take them off that heat lamp. Eventually, you can introduce them to the outside when they're about mid-size, which is about two months. And at that two-month mark, whenever they're outside, they just blossom. They grow rapidly after that. Within six months from the date of birth, they should usually have eggs. Sometimes if they have to overwinter, it'll take seven or eight months. You, Chickens you that I got in November eggs? are laying this week. What breed... Would you like to have? I have a friend here who I think he said he has Peruvian, some sort of Peruvian chicken. Or it has That's the great eggs. thing about chickens is there's just so much variety. I mean, you can go on forever. There's a uh, hundred different types at least. But I prefer Rhode Island Reds just for sheer productivity. If you're not trying to go for a diverse field and you're really just trying to get eggs, 
then you yeah. want the largest, most consistent layer that you can, and they generally look the same, which is the Rhode Island red. Is it? Uh, my guess is, and this is based partly on on uh, a romantic view of the Rio Grande Valley, but that you know we we like our livestock. Um, it's not uncommon for people to have chickens. Uh, there was a place close to where I live, chickens, uh, turkeys, turkeys. Um, let's see what else. Uh, I want to say they had pigs, but I think I'm not understanding. I don't think that's true. Um, you can't have goats, I don't think. But anyway, we we seem to like because a lot of people come from rural rural parts of the world. They they, they like to have a little livestock. Um, is that true in Corpus Christi, or are y'all too up uptown for that? Well, in my backyard right now, I've got the chickens. But I also have about 20 rabbits, and I also have two pygmy goats, and I also have a pig. So <laughs> I'm a good example of someone that? who likes to have a lot of things. And I had ducks, and I had turkeys, and the neighbors across the street have ducks and turkeys, and someone down the way has chickens. So and it, just in my street alone, I can tell you, I mean, one street over, we've got ponies. Is it oh. worth, so, would you say, uh, sorry, we're, we're speaking with Rick Gomez, who's a realtor up in uh Noises County, and he's had chickens for about uh, seven or eight years. He's our guest in your 95651. Would you say it's worth the investment for somebody to pick up right now and, you know, grab a handful of chicks and grab the grab the equipment and, and, and wait it out just for, just for the egg factor? <laughs> would you say it's worth the investment? Yeah, I'd say it would. Um, the, a 50-pound bag of food costs you about $15. It'll last you easily a month with three or four chickens. Um, the return on that, obviously, eggs are being what they are at the moment, is pretty good. But the eggs that you raise yourself are going to taste so much better than regular eggs. Mm -hmm. They'll look better. They're fresh. They have a much better nutritional value than an egg that you buy off a grocery store. It's literally night and day. I wouldn't just raise them for the cost factor. I would raise them for the health factor. I really do think it contributes to your nutrition. What do what they, you do? What do go ahead, David. Go ahead. Uh, serious question. Do uh, sounds like you got you a little poop factory there in the big your backyard manure factory. Mm -hmm. um, how how do you handle Absolutely. that seriously? Uh, I do tons of farming. I've got hundreds of different kinds of vegetables, and I just collect it and spread it around the yard. This is in your ha at your house, half acre, Whoa. big backyard. Yeah. Whoa! Yeah, lots of raised beds, twenty by twenty farming spot so i do a lot of that i've never come across somebody that's accumulated so much they didn't they didn't know what to do with it for the most part and it can always be spread around are you are you uh, making sure mom and dad and your brothers and sisters get plenty of nutritious food your neighbors your old you know i've never sold an egg but i give away six packs of eggs every single day so definitely <laughs> all my family friends clients and teammates well maybe zach and i will take a little trip so and you mentioned down, come visit the farm Hey, Rick, thanks a lot for uh, giving us uh, an inside look of what it's like to own some chickens of your own on your property. That's Rick Gomez. He's a realtor up in the Corpus Christi area joining us on News Talk 710 KURV, your 956 Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. 
start your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's Morning News. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day and special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, good morning, guys. Well, let's now enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's Morning News with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Science, technology, engineering, and math. Our powers combine that creates STEM, and part of that is robotics first RGV, or yeah, first RGV. Joining us on 710 KURV, one of the robotics coaches in the Rio Grande Valley, part of the Mac High Robotics team is Robert Saldana. He joins us here today. One of my personal friends. Happy to have you on. One of the biggest brains I know, by the way. Uh, Robert, for those of you who don't know, uh, as far as I, as long as I can remember, was always fixing things, always putting things together, and was quite the engineer himself. And he's passing that along to some to to many talented kids in the county. So let's start with first RGV. Robert, welcome to the show. What is first RGV? Well, um, first RGV is pretty much uh, an organization of the collective teams in the South Texas region. We really don't refer to us as first RGV anymore. Now we just kind of call ourselves first in Texas. And this is the South section of that. So, but you know, of course a lot of, and you know, what's from the past. I mean, you know how long I've been doing this. Uh, a lot of us still remember that phrase, that first RGV logo. And I'm really glad that you remember uh, all the stuff that we've done in the past under that brand. But um, we're doing awesome. We're doing excellent. And I can't wait to see what's going on uh, February 25th. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. But first, let's set the stage. What are these What are these kids All currently right. doing under the the program, and, and what is it? Okay, so um, I manage or I coach um, a, a robotic or multiple robotics teams, uh, three at Mac High, and there's. Right now, there's 40 teams that are going to be competing, and they're all building robots. They're all working together using whatever knowledge they have and whatever tools they have and whatever materials they have, and uh, they're making a mess, and they're having fun doing it. On top of that, they're also doing outreach to multiple organizations. They're, co- they're uh, connecting with businesses. They're connecting with engineers of uh, business engineers as well as colleges, recruiters. They're, like, getting deep into, into the STEM world. That way they're prepared for, you know, what's after high school. We're talking about STEM education in the Rio Grande Valley with robotics and Robert Saldana is one of the coaches of robotics at McAllen High School, our guest on your 956 drive home. What are the what are the, the kids learning? What is the, the process behind uh, the robotics program here? How does everything work? Um, so every year we get uh, a brand new game. Uh, they release a brand new game in September, and there's a series of tasks that their robot needs to perform. And um, they basically have to build all the mechanisms, whether it's a drivetrain mechanism or a lift mechanism, a gripper or a flywheel. It really depends every year. Um, And then from there, um, of course, after they build it, they have to code it. So there's a coding aspect of it. And there's actually a certain section of the game, it's a 30-second autonomous period, where they actually have to code the robot to do multiple tasks 
autonomously and you know they have a blast doing it this and of course after that neat. they have a teleop period where they can actually um drive the robot for two minutes you know in manual mode and then of course continuing to uh process all the tasks and that way they can uh tally up all the points and hopefully of course win the match these are remote controlled robots and they're programmed and are they built from scratch or is there a kit that goes with it a little bit of both um there is kits available from multiple companies um, but you can also build them from scratch. Uh, th- there are proprietary motors and um, I guess the Wi-Fi connections and all that stuff that they need to use. But other than that, like the wheels, like the, the actual frame, um, all of those other the gears, they can use whatever they want. Joining us on 710K, you are one of the robotics coaches at McAllen High School. We're talking about uh, first in the RGV and Everything that comes along with that is STEM education. Uh, Davis Rankin, you have a question for Mr. Saldana. Yeah, yeah, it'll it'll sound contentious, but it's not. Okay, it's great learning how to do robots and uh, blow stuff up and destroy the. Uh, what does this teach you? What does this teach you? <laughs> wait, 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 wait! What did he even say? What did he no, say no, no, anything no, about no, blowing stuff up? I just threw that in there because. Go ahead. Because go ahead, that's coming. Because some student wants to do that. Uh, but w- this, I'm assuming, other than the novelty of being able to build a robot that does stuff, what's this a gateway to? It's preparatory for something or not? Okay, so actually, it's it's preparatory for multiple things. Um, one thing that I always say to anybody that I'm trying to recruit into robotics is, this is not only for people who want to be an engineer. This is for not. This is not only coders. This is this is people who want to learn how to work in a team. And that's the, one of the big skills that we're starting to see here in the 21st century. It's one of the biggest skills that we really need because you know what, after you graduate college, you're going to have to work with different types of people with different skill sets. They're not just eight engineers working on one task. There's one engineer doing one thing. Then you have a project management person doing something else. And then you have the social media aspect of it. They're handling all of the, the outreach and all of the, you know, all, all that, that aspect of it. So th- there really is like so many different areas and I, I guess jobs in, in, in one team that it, anybody can come into a robotics team and be important and, and hone in on those skills that really kind of get neglected. Um, but I mean, bottom line is like teamwork is huge and we really, really push that in robotics. And not only that, there's also our, what we call competition where we're kind of also like working together um, as mm, what do you call a community. So all, all the other teams, even though they're kind of going against each other, they're actually working together for a common cause. They're, they're pushing the knowledge of, you know, STEM and robotics out there. Because honestly, a lot of people don't know what we do. A lot of people, when they think about robotics, they think BattleBots. That's the first thing that pops in people's minds. And we're trying to break that, that stigma. We're trying to say, you know what, it's more than just that. I mean, these kids are really pushing themselves. They're putting themselves out there. They're, they're doing something they're not comfortable with because it's a skill that they've never done before. And they're, they're actually doing awesome. Like the, the teams that I have seen across the South Texas region, they're doing amazing things, not just building robots. They're 
adopting parks. They're meeting with other other people across the world and seeing what they're doing. And it's it's just so amazing when I see all of the smiles on their faces when they've actually achieved some of their goals that they wanted to achieve, you know, back in August. And I've seen some of this firsthand at some of the events that I've attended, and we've bought KURV along the way uh, to to showcase some of this stuff. I've seen at, at some of the at some of the events where something will absolutely go wrong, and you kind of have to you know paper clips and duct tape it together in a moment's notice to make sure that it works for for the championship. Uh, our guest is Robert Saldana. He is with First in the RGV. We're talking about STEM education and robotics. And you guys have a, a, a championship coming up. What, what is that about and who's involved? All right. So um, recently we just finished off the last tournament. Um, and that was, that was in Laredo. So as of right now, there's 40 teams left in South Texas. And that's from Harlingen to Laredo, I believe. And of those 40 teams, they're basically competing for a spot at state. So I believe there's 11 teams advancing from this turn this uh, regional event to state. So they're going to come in on February 25th and McCallum high school will be hosting. And this is open to the public uh, from about nine o'clock to about six o'clock. And, you know, yeah, you're right, Zach. It's super hilarious when you see these robots come in and they look awesome. And then all of a sudden you see a, me- a mechanism fall off or the gripper mechanism fall off or a wheel just flies off and then of course they have anywhere between five to 15 minutes to get that robot in order to get ready for the next match yeah and it it, just the the macgyver element if i'm going to date myself to it all is just fascinating to me that these kids are able to you know big brain 200 iq this in a in a very short amount of time, and able to come up with a solution, Davey. We don't have a whole lot of time, but really quickly, you, your question. Go ahead. Uh, you think the, your students are destined for um, engineering degrees or, or a- academic work, or they're going to lurch off into other other similar things, but that don't require four year degree. So I'm going to go based off of my alumni. So I've been doing this for seven years, and I have alumni all over the place. Yeah, definitely, I have some that went into engineering. I have some that are in cybersecurity. I have some that went into a uh, diesel mechanic and they graduated from South Texas with their diesel, uh, um, uh, diesel mechanic degree and they're already working and they're making some good money. I have uh, two that are in the army. I have some at, at Texas A&M. I mean, really they're all over the place and they're not only in STEM, some are in nursing, some are in IT, some are in information management. Um, they, they, uh, I believe one is doing foreign language. Like it's, okay. it's really interesting to see the, the spectrum of all of the alumni and what they're doing right now. But uh, the one common thing that I'm I'm seeing from all of my kids that have graduated and have you know word robotics is they're doing something. They're taking on a challenge and they're committed to basically, you know, being a part of society, being a part of what we're supposed to be doing as adults. Robert, I'm happy. I'm happy we were able to get this opportunity to catch up. We hope to have you on again, real, real soon, to talk more about this and hype up what's happening on the 25th. That's Robert Saldana, robotics coach at McAllen High School, part of First in the RGV, joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. 
You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids. They're running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.